Well, hello and welcome everyone. It really is good to be with you uh, today at whatever time you are watching this. And I say it's really good to be with you because a couple of weeks ago I was hoping to be with you and unfortunately wasn't able to be uh, because as you can see, there's a funny thing on my head. And um, I promise you it's not COVID related, but in the second week of lockdown, I got a bit of an interesting and unusual infection, caused my head to swell up, was quite painful. But we got it sliced by the doc, and now instead of a swelling, I have a scab. So that's what it is. And now hopefully you don't have to be uh, distracted as uh, we dig into God's Word together, and you'll be able to join me in focusing on what God has said in His Word. For those of you who haven't been in my lounge, welcome to my lounge. You can see some of it. It's been slightly rearranged for today, but it's really good to be with you and to be sharing with you even from my home at the moment. Today is the last message in our Genesis series. Um, next week, we start a three-week series looking at um, what it is like to live under lockdown. We've called it confinement, refinement, and going to be speaking specifically about some of the challenges and also some of the opportunities that we have as God's people in lockdown in the time that we find ourselves in in the moment. But if you've been with us for the last little while, you know that we've spent most of this year working through the book of Genesis right from the very beginning. We've spoken about um, creation and the fall. We looked at the flood, and then we've tracked the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their families as they've been recorded for us in Scripture. And so today is the day I get to bring that uh, journey to an end. And we're going to end our series in Genesis today. And I felt an appropriate place to do that would be in Genesis chapter 49. Because in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob appears and he blesses all of his different sons. He speaks prophetically over them. And as he does that, his, his blessings or his curses are connected to the lives that they have lived and the stories that we have read as we've gone through the series together. And so I thought this would be a really nice way of rounding off and finishing up the series that we've spent in Genesis together. And, and what we're going to find is in this chapter, as we look at it together in Genesis chapter 49, we're going to see a snapshot of uh, how the lives of Jacob's sons have turned out. And we're going we're gonna to get a, almost an a anticipation of the kind of heavenly judgment that we all one day will face. Um, and, and in some ways, I think this chapter is quite exciting because it's, it's like the climax of a story. It's like the buildup that kind of gets revealed and you finally get to see everything that's happened and how it all plays out. The thing is, though, sometimes stories don't really end the way in which we would like them to end. And uh, this happened to me the other day as we've been in lockdown. I've been playing a role-playing game and... Um, when you play this game, you play the part of a protective adopted father figure, adoptive father figure. And, and I invested quite a lot of time in this game. I really enjoyed the development of the story along the way um, and the characters as they developed. And there was, I spent a lot of time, uh, an emotional investment, and finally arrived at the kind of end cut sequence of the game. And uh, this is like the climax to the whole story. And, and as I began to watch the cutscenes play through, I was filled with this like real sadness, this massive sense of disappointment and of anticlimax. Because as you have finished watching through all the cutscenes and the epilogue as it played out, it turns out that, that the character that I had been playing and the daughter, my adopted daughter that I've been protected, we both died. And it felt as if all those hours of story and of development and of investment and of building had, had been for nothing. It, it was like it had all been wasted. Because I had, I had made parenting decisions that 
in the context of the game were, were considered weak. You know, I tried to be a really supportive and a helpful parent, but apparently that wasn't very helpful. Um, and and what, I, what, it, what I realized in, in doing that is that the choices that I'd made in the game mattered. And I share that with you today because the choices that we make in life matter. The actions that we take in life matter. And that's one of the key lessons that I think we need to take from Genesis chapter 49. And so I've titled my message today, Our Actions Matter. And we're going to see that as we look at our choices and our actions and how we live our lives, those things can have eternal significance. They can, they can make a difference long after we, have, we reach our final end. It's, our lives don't end, unfortunately, with a disappointing cutscene. But we end our lives as we sit before the judgment seat of Christ. And as the King of Heaven weighs our lives in His hands. And so in Genesis chapter 49, we get a snapshot as Jacob plays the role of judge over his children. And so we're going to look at five of his children together today. We're going to look at Reuben, at Simeon, at Levi, at Judah, and at Joseph. And we're going to look at some of the choices that they made and the actions that they took and how that affected the overall judgment on their lives at the end. And then we're going to take a moment and consider how we can make the best use of the time that we still have. So let's jump in. We're not going to read the whole of Genesis chapter 49, just some of the relevant segments. And I'm going to do my best to have it for you on the TV behind me, and hopefully you can read it there. But if you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, you really are more than welcome to do that as well. So let's jump in. Genesis chapter 49, verses 1 and 2. Then Jacob called together all his sons and said, Gather around me, and I will tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. Come and listen, you sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength, the child of my vigorous youth. You are first in rank and first in power. But you are unruly as a flood, and you will be first no longer. You went to bed with my wife, and you defiled my marriage couch. The story that we find and this, this judgment, this curse almost that Jacob pronounces over Reuben is related to an event that's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 35. And in Genesis chapter 35, you might remember in Genesis chapter 34, there was a, mess, a massacre at Sechem and Jacob and his family now begin to move around. And in the midst of their movements, there are these two verses that are recorded for us. And it says, then Jacob traveled on and camped at Michdal Edda. And while he was living there, Reuben had intercourse with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Jacob soon heard about it. And then that's it. Then the narrative moves on, and the rest of verse 22 isn't actually about this. It's about a list of all the different sons of Jacob, and, and it's like this incident is just recorded and then forgotten. <clears throat> but this is something significant that Reuben has done. This isn't a light thing in the eyes of God. And so later on in history, in the history of the people of Israel, God gives the people of Israel laws that teach them how to live and how to behave. And it kind of goes without saying that this is one of the things that shouldn't be done. In Leviticus chapter 18, in verse 8, we read, Do not have sexual relations with any of your father's wives, for this would violate your father. Later on, we see the, the consequence for violating that in Leviticus chapter 20. If a man violates his father by having sex with one of his father's wives, both the man and the woman must be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense. 
this thing that Reuben has done is really, really significant. And and it's going to follow him through the rest of his life. And when Jacob speaks his pronouncement over Reuben, he remembers this act. And this act defines what the blessing and what is actually the curse that Reuben inherits instead of the blessing. And it's interesting because the rest of Reuben's life isn't a terrible life. We, we read in, in Genesis chapter 37 how Reuben was actually the guy that, that stood up for Joseph as his brothers were trying to, to plot to kill Joseph in their jealousy. Reuben had a bit of a plan and he said, hey guys, rather let's not kill Joseph. Why should we shed any blood? In fact, like maybe let's throw him into this empty cistern and he'll die and we won't have to do anything about it. And he just said that to appease his brothers. Because his plan was to come back later and to rescue Joseph from the system and to take him back to his father. So there's some really good intention that we see over there in Reuben's life. And we don't see much more of it. But those are some, the two significant actions. And yet it seems that his action and his sin in sleeping with his mother-in-law seems to follow him to the end of his days. Reuben, my firstborn, my strength, the child of my youth. You were first in rank and first in power, but you are unruly as a flood. And you will be first no longer because of what you have done. Our actions can have long-term consequences, friends, that are not always immediately obvious. In the story, as we read about what Reuben did, the story moves on and nothing else is said about it. But God remembers and Jacob remembers. And when it comes time for Reuben to inherit his double share of the inheritance, to, to bring leadership to his brothers, to be the, the man that leads his family forward after his father dies, that gets taken away from him because of his sin with his mother-in-law. His actions had a long-term consequence for him. Down the road, there was a price that he had to pay. He lost a significant financial payout. He lost his social standing with his family. And the tribe of Reuben never excelled at anything. If you look ahead into history, you'll see that no prophet, no judge, and no king ever comes from the tribe of Reuben. And he who should have been first is now lost. And isn't that what Jesus taught us? That those who are first will be lost. He had it all. But he threw it away. He was first. And he came last. Our actions can have long-term consequences. And those consequences aren't immediately obvious to us all the time. But our actions matter. Let's have a look at Simeon and at Levi. Back to Genesis chapter 49 from verses 5 to 7 this time. Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instruments of violence. May I never join in their meetings. May I never be a party to their plans. For in their anger they murdered men and they crippled oxen just for sport. A curse on their anger, for it is fierce. A curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. This is the second of Jacob's proclamations over his sons. And again, it's a curse. That's what it is. It, and it originates, again, in a specific action that took place in their lives. You might remember I had the opportunity to preach on that action in Genesis chapter 34, the massacre that occurred at Sechem. And you, and you might remember what happened where one of Joseph's daughters, Dina, she went down to the city of Sechem and one of the leaders there took her and raped her. And then Simeon and Levi, they responded in anger and they, they tricked the men and the leaders of Sechem 
And, and while they were uh, unable to defend themselves, they went down into the town and they murdered all the men. And then they took the women and children, they took them captive. And Jacob says, it's this incident, it's that incident, that outworking of your anger that is going to define now your destiny. It's going to define your destiny. And he pronounces this curse over his two sons. And you know what makes this particularly interesting? Because it could be quite similar to Reuben, that his actions had consequences and their actions have consequences. But what makes this interesting is is that the fortunes of Levi and the fortunes of Simeon differ greatly in history. And so I want to just explore that with us together. Let's have a look at Simeon and let's see what happens. In Numbers chapter 1 and verse 23, we read that those who were numbered of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. That's at the point where the Israelites are leaving Egypt and they're moving out towards the promised land. There's 59,000 Simeonites. After 40 years in the wilderness, we read this, Numbers chapter 26. Now there were um, families of the Simeonites, 22,200. Their numbers have decreased by almost two-thirds. They went from almost 60,000 people to about 20,000 people. This is where they are as they're poised to enter the promised land. Then they go into the promised land and they take possession of the land. And Joshua is distributing the land to the people. And it says this in Joshua chapter 19. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. And their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. Here's how that curse gets fulfilled over 400 years later, is instead of having their own land with the rest of Israel, they have to share land with the people of Judah. Because their tribe has become so small and so insignificant. From being the biggest tribe that left the land of Egypt, they had become the smallest. Isn't that a sad thing? Let's have a look at the fate of the Levites though. Back in Numbers chapter 1, later on we read in verse 48. The Lord said to Moses, do not include the tribe of Levi in the registration. Don't count them with the rest of the Israelites. But instead, put the Levites in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant. Isn't this interesting? The Levites, unlike all the other tribes, they don't get numbered, but they are given a role of honor. They are told, as we read more in the story, that they belong solely to the Lord. They don't get any land itself. They are scattered throughout the land of Israel. But the Lord himself is their inheritance, it says. And in each of the provinces of the land of Israel, the Levites are given cities and they preside over the priestly duties of the people of Israel and they occupy an elite status in the people of Israel. They're still scattered, but their scattering is a blessing rather than a curse. The Levites enjoy the blessing and the favor of the Lord while the Simeonites found disgrace. And we've got to ask this question, why is that? What is the reason that there's such a difference? Because when Jacob spoke it over his sons, it was judgment over both of them. Why did it change for the Levites and not the Simeonites? I believe the answer can be found in Exodus chapter 32. And in this story, Moses, you might remember, Moses was up on Mount Sinai and he'd spent time with the Lord. And it took him 40 days with the Lord. And while he was there, he was being given the Ten Commandments and communing with God. But the people got confused and they they battled without him there. And so Aaron called them together and they created this golden calf. And then they attempted to worship God through the calf. And they began to celebrate and drink and to get drunk. And Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees the people of Israel worshiping a golden calf and drunk on wine. And he loses it and he throws the Ten Commandments onto the ground. 
And he makes this plea before the people of Israel. He says this, verse 26, So he stood at the entrance to the camp and he shouted, and he said, All of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And so the Levites gathered around him. And Moses said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other and kill everyone, even your brothers and your friends and your neighbors. And the Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, Today you have ordained yourself for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him even though it meant killing your sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. In a society which is so different to ours, where justice was often brutal and capital, the tribe of Levi chose fearless obedience to the Lord. Despite what was incredibly difficult, what was perhaps even abhorrent to their hearts, that caused them to recoil inside them because they had to go into their own families and into their own people and into their neighbors and brothers and sisters, and they had to put people to death. They changed in that moment the destiny of their entire tribe. That forevermore, instead of being the tribe that was scattered like Simeon and had no significance, they became the people that were God's own possession. And they changed the destiny of their tribe after 400 years through their faithful response to God. What do we take away from Simeon and Levi? What we see in the story of Simeon and Levi is that judgment is not always set in stone. And that our actions of faithfulness also have consequences, also have long-term consequences. It's not just our sinful actions that can affect us in the long run, but it's our choices and our actions of faithfulness to God that make the difference in the long run. And we're going to see this exponentially as we look at Joseph. But these This tribe of Levites in Exodus 32 changed the destiny of their people forever because of their acts of faithfulness. So let's move on and let's have a look at Jacob. Not Jacob, at Judah. Uh, Jacob's um, the fourth son we're going to look at at Jacob today. We find this in Genesis again 49 from 8 to 10. And Judah is perhaps one of the most interesting of the prophecies that we find here. And and Jacob speaks over Judah and he says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a, a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah and all the rulers start from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one to whom all nations will honor. Jacob's prophecy over Judah is undeniably positive. The tribe of his descendants will will lead the Israelites. They will be strong. The Messiah will come through them and he will be honored by many nations. All nations will honor him. And this is a really interesting prophecy in terms of what we've seen so far. Because so far what we've seen is the consequences of our actions having a a direct effect on, our, on, the, on the lives of the people who would follow. And our consequences are directly linked to our actions. And so the question that we have to answer is, does the record of Judah's life warrant the greatness of the blessing that he receives at Jacob's hand? I mean, 
it doesn't that better belong to Joseph, who was definitely the more righteous of the brothers? Is Judah's life worth the blessing he receives? And the life of Judah is recorded for us in, in Genesis in three real places. It's in Genesis 37, 38, and then 44. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 37. In, in chapter 37, this is the capture of Joseph again. And we saw earlier it was Reuben that argued that instead of killing him, they should throw him in the pit. Well, here what we find is that Judah gets involved and he decides that there's maybe something else we can do instead of just throwing him in the pit. And so he says to his brothers, what do we gain by doing that? Let's rather, we'd have to cover that up. Let's, instead of hurting him, let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. You know, I mean, he is our brother after all. We don't really want to, you know, have to kill him. But if we sold him as a slave, like that would be okay to solve our problems. I mean, that's not the worst plan anyone's ever come up with. But it doesn't feel very altruistic, does it? It doesn't feel very selfless. It's not like we see Judah standing up beside Reuben saying, Hey, listen, guys, what you're about to do to Joseph is wrong and it's ungodly and it doesn't honor our father and we shouldn't be doing this. We need to, we need to protect him, even though he's a bit irritating. Right? That's not really what happens. Instead, he, it, he just seems like he takes advantage of the situation. And maybe there's something good about that motive, but we don't really know. Then the next chapter is actually a chapter that digresses from the story of Joseph and focuses on the story of Judah. And so I'm not going to read the whole chapter because that would take some time. And I encourage you to do that. So I'm going to give you Brad's version, this kind of summary version. And what happens in Genesis chapter 38 is, is that Judah moves out of home. And we see that and he, get, he has three sons. And so his first son marries a woman called Tamar. And, but we're told that this son is, is actually a wicked son in the eyes of the Lord. So God takes his life. Which unfortunately for Tamar leaves her uh, as a widow. And so Judah tells his second son, look, you need to now marry Tamar because she's been widowed. And this is a good and a godly decision that Judah makes at this point. Inside his culture, this is a way of showing honor and pr to protect widows, to provide for those who are widowed. And it's something that God again later legislates in Levitical law to protect for widows in the land. And so Judah does something good and honorable for Tamar here. But unfortunately, his second son doesn't really love this arrangement. He doesn't really feel honored to receive his brother's seconds. You know? And so he keeps foiling their attempts as a couple to have children. And so God doesn't look down on him well for doing this. And so God judges him and takes his life as well. And you know, there's a little bit of a micro lesson we can see here about consequences and actions. But unfortunately, here we go. Tamar is again a helpless widow. And so what Judah should do at this point is he should say to Tamar, listen, I'm going to give you my third son who's going to marry you. But, but he doesn't because he gets superstitious and he doesn't want his third and last son to die. And so he's, his concern is that they must be dying because of her. And so instead of giving his third son to Tamar, what he does is he sends her back to her father. And he sends her back without provision, without provision for a future, without protection as a woman who's now been widowed and alone. And so after some time, Tamar decides to take things into her own hand and to bring righteousness about. And so she finds out where Judah is going to be, and she goes to that place, and she dresses as a prostitute, and she waits for him there. And when he comes, he finds her, but he doesn't recognize that it's her, and he sleeps with her. And, and Tamar is sneaky. She manages to, to capture proof and evidence of the, of the time that they've spent together. And then she comes later to Judah, and she confronts him. And she says, hey, I know that I'm the woman that you slept with and what you did is not right. 
And Judah acknowledges his, his guilt and he says, you know what, she's actually more righteous than I am because she's, she's shown me up and she's brought my unrighteousness to light. That's the story that we have of, of Judah and Tamar in Genesis chapter 38. And again, it's a bit of a mixed bag as a story. Judah doesn't exactly cover himself with glory in here. There, I mean, there are moments of righteousness. There's a moment of repentance, which is good. But there's also concentrated periods of, of prolonged rebellion and neglect. There's a significant immorality on his part. And so again, we find this, this mixed bag with Judah. And he's not really shining as a character yet. So, so he gets a little bit better in Genesis chapter 44. Because in Genesis chapter 44, the brothers are before Joseph. And he's making some demands of them. And he wants Benjamin to stand as hostage um, to secure the debt that the brothers owe. And, and Judah knows that this is going to be incredibly difficult for his father. And so he makes this impassioned plea before Joseph. And he says, please, Joseph, my father really can't bear this. Won't you take me? instead of Benjamin. So there's this honorable moment in Judah's life. And, and that's really what we know about Judah as a son. And as I read all of that, it, it caused me to have to ask the question, is that, does that really make him worthy of the blessing that he's given by Jacob? Does it make him more worthy than Joseph, for instance? Why does he get to be the leader over his brothers and not Joseph? Why does he receive those blessings? And I think as I process that with the Lord, the, the, I think the story of Judah best shows us that sometimes the providence of God goes beyond our human influence and action. Sometimes God is just at work above us and beyond us and despite us. And Judah teaches us that whilst we are responsible for the actions that we take, we will never be able to earn the blessing and the favor of God. Judah's a reminder that against God's standard, we all are going to fall short. That all of us have indeed sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul tells us. But that God, in His grace, can still bring His purposes into being through us. God uses us in that process. Even though he, he could ne we could never have earned that honor, the honor of being used by God, God chooses to use us anyway. Judah, he's a reminder to us that when we experience the blessing of God in our lives, it's never something that we've earned, but it's the gracious and lavish gift of our God, which is sovereignly bestowed on us at his discretion. Providence of God goes beyond our actions and our influence. Finally, friends, let's have a look at Joseph. His is a story that we've covered at length through the series, and so I won't belabor it with you today. But let's read what Jacob prophesies over Joseph and land it with an observation. Back to Genesis chapter 49. Jacob says, Joseph is the foal of a wild donkey, the foal of a wild donkey at spring. One of the wild donkeys on the ridge. I don't really know what the donkeys are all about, I'll be honest. Right? Archers attacked him savagely. They shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained taut. His arms were strengthened by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the shepherd, by the rock of Israel. Now may the God of your father help you. May the Almighty bless you with blessings of the heavens above and blessings of the watery depths below and blessings of the breasts and womb. May my fatherly blessings on you surpass the blessings of my ancestors, reaching to the heights of the eternal hills. May these blessings rest on the head of Joseph 
who is prince among his brothers. What an amazing blessing to receive from your father. And Joseph receives from Jacob the longest blessing of any of his sons. Jacob prays that this blessing that he conveys now over Joseph would surpass all the blessings that he himself received from his father Isaac. And you'll remember that he, that he actually stole that blessing. It wasn't really his. And as we think back over Joseph's life, and if you've been with us in this series, I think the most obvious observation that we can take from Joseph's life is that Joseph was faithful to God throughout a multitude of hardships that he endured in his life. And at the end of his father's life, he receives this blessing from his father. He pours out his love on his son. He pours out even the love of the Heavenly Father on His Son who has shown His faithfulness. The blessing of Joseph reminds us that we can bless and please our Father with lives that are lived in faithfulness. We we can bless and please our Father with lives that are lived in faithfulness. And friends, isn't that the greatest blessing of all? Isn't that the best thing that we can do? Jesus said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. But isn't it beautiful to recognize that we can give back to God. We can give back to our Father. We can bless His heart. We can cause joy to rise in Him when we live our lives faithfully. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And that when we please Him, that He in His grace just lavishes His love on us in return. He loves to love us. He is pleased by us and He loves to pour out His grace on us. Friends, our choices matter. Our choices matter. What we do with our lives, the things that we do with our time and the actions that we take and the decisions that we make, they have an eternal value. And sometimes we won't see the consequences of those actions for years to come. But what we do with our lives matter. And I still believe that this is true, even under the New Covenant. This is an Old Testament text, and it's a, sto- a collection of stories from the Old Testament. But this is still true for us as New Testament Christians. And Paul writes to the Galatians, and he says this, Friends, I don't want you to be misled. I don't want you to think that you can mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And those who, will, who live only to satisfy their sinful nature, will from their sinful nature reap decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit, those who live to please the Father, those who live their lives for their King, they will from Him reap everlasting life. The new covenant affirms and reinforces that the decisions that we make and the actions that we take can create significant consequences in our lives. And we're called to live, to please the Spirit, to please our Father, to to love our God and to live our lives that bring honor to Him. And that when we do that, here's God's promise, we will reap eternal life. We will be in the favor of our Father. We will receive His blessing. We will hear those words, well done, good and faithful service. Isn't that what we want? I'm going to close with some words that Paul speaks to the Ephesians, the second last chapter of Ephesians. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Friends, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
Make the most of the opportunities that you have and don't be thoughtless because our actions and our choices matter. Because the things that we do with what God has given to us matters and it's important. Right now we're stuck in lockdown and we can't leave our homes. And as at the time I'm recording this message, I don't know if that's going to change at the end of next week yet or not. But can I suggest to you two things? There might be some of you who are watching this clip. And you haven't yet decided to to follow Jesus and to live your life for him. I really want to encourage you in making that decision. It is the most, the most significant decision you will ever make in your life. And it is the decision that you will be held most accountable for at the end of your life. Which might still be a long way down the road. But it's not just going to be a disappointing cutscene. But you're going to stand before the King of Heaven and you're going to have to give an account. And this is the most significant decision that you're going to have to give an account for. That when God gave His life for you, were you ready to receive that gift? And if you're sitting or standing, wherever you're listening to this today, and you've heard the Holy Spirit just poking you at the back of your mind saying, you know what, it's time. Come to me, come to me. I really, I would love to help you make that decision. And so I'm going to put my email address in the description of this video. And if you would like to, to make that decision, if you'd like to contemplate and talk about making that decision, please get in touch. I would love to journey with you as you process that and as you, as you think about following Jesus with your life. It's the most significant thing. Secondly, I want to speak to those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, who have chosen to follow Jesus with our lives. And I want to ask you that as we bring this video to a close now, and as I begin to pray for us, won't you take a few moments just to be quiet afterwards? And won't you just pray and say to the Lord, Lord, please will you help me? Please will you just show me what you want me to do with the time that you've given me? What can I do now while I'm in lockdown? Who are the people that you've placed around me? How can I bless them? How can I reveal you to them? How can I honor you, God, during this time of lockdown? How can I draw close to you? How can you be blessed by the way in which I live my life? And just allow God to lead you in that. Because to, do, to live your life, to give Him pleasure, is the greatest thing that we can ever do. And it's the thing we will be most blessed by when we come to stand before Him one day. This is a really significant time for us as a church. We're in lockdown. We don't get to do the things that we would normally do. But we can still be the church. How are we being the church? Are we connected to the Father? Are we connected to the source? And then are we connected to the people that are around us? Did they know that we exist to love them and to show them towards Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord, I want to pray for those who are thinking about choosing to follow you. I want to pray for those, Lord, in whom you are working by your Spirit and calling them to yourself. And I want to pray for boldness and I want to pray for courage. I want to pray, Lord, that you would lead them gently and guide them and welcome them to yourself. And that they would begin the most wonderful journey with you. Give them courage, Lord, I pray.
to make that decision. And Lord, for those of us who have been blessed to know you, God, I pray that you would help us and that you would speak to us now and and you would cause us to, to turn to you and to sit with you and to ask you, God, to lead us. That we might be a people who are led by the spirits and who are a blessing to those around us and we would live our lives in faithful response to you just like the Levites chose in the desert. Lord, would we choose to faithfully follow you so that you would receive glory and honor in our lives. I pray this in the wonderful and the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. May God bless you all and may you have a wonderful week ahead.